0: I'm going to kick off a new series today, which has been our pattern, obviously, stepping into a new year. It's only right. We get a new series going. Everyone's got the new year, new me coming. You know, the, the gym's packed with people trying to lose a few pounds. The diet sections, of the stores, where the, the vegetables, I guess you could say, are getting all picked off the shelf. Like everything's, everyone's getting in this new mode, trying to get ready to go. And it's, it's been our pattern as a church that we take the first month of the year. And really, we do kind of a, a spiritual inventory, if you will. I don't know if you're a New Year's resolution person. Maybe you set goals. Maybe you don't. Uh, but either way, I think January is a good and right time for the church to look at everything that's going on in our life and go, man, what is it that matters most? And "And what do I have in my life that stirs up my affection for Jesus? And what do I have going in my life that robs me of my affections for Jesus? And so the last few years, we've committed 21 days in January to fasting and prayer. And maybe you're new to our church, and that sounds extreme to you. Um, I want to just kind of clarify some things a bit that we don't it's it's rare that people will go 21 days on just a water only fast although that is something that people will pursue and is uh, an amazing thing to try to do. Uh, But really, there's all sorts of kinds of ways that you can engage with this time. Uh, You could do intermittent fasting. You could do a Daniel fast or a partial food fast. I would definitely recommend a soul fast. That's what we'll be doing in my household with my kids who will not be playing Minecraft for the next three weeks. Uh, We will be saying goodbye to screens for a few weeks, not just to say no to something. This is the key right here. We're not just trying to say no or deprive ourselves of something. We're trying to say yes to what matters eternally. And so what I want to invite you into in this 21 days is regardless of the fast that you feel led to walk into in this 21 days, I would ask that you would commit yourself, devote yourself, maybe in a season unlike ever before, to prayer. I would love for you to spend more time personally in prayer than you ever have before. I would love for you to make sure you make our prayer gatherings. I'll mention those again at the end of the service today. But come, gather with God's people and pray, contend, just like we just did. Maybe it's a little intimidating to get into a room like this, but it is, there is something sweet about the family of God gathering in a small room and just seeking his will, seeking his kingdom, and asking for him to do things in power. Amen. And so let's devote ourselves to prayer in this time. I'm we'll gonna be kicking off a series called Unhindered. It's kind of the word we feel called to rally around this year. And um, the picture uh, is, is really simple. It's uh, what would what what it look like for us to run this race with Jesus, this long obedience in the same direction? We all have this walk, this journey that we're on. What would it look like if we just never broke stride? I think so many of us, if we were able to be honest, have a more hindered walk with Jesus than we thought we would by now. There are still the same old things slowing us down. We still get distracted by the same old things, but what would it be like? And is it even possible to chase after Jesus without anything holding us back? uh, I'm taking on a new endeavor this year and I will be coaching my daughter's middle school, sixth grade girls basketball team. Yep, yeah, it's gonna be great. There will be sermon fodder for years to come, I'm sure from this six-week experience that we're gonna go through together. Um, as I get ready to coach, I've, I've done this before, and I'm excited, and so I'm, I'm looking at some of the greats of, of coaching. Obviously, you can't go much further than John Wooden. Anyone know who John Wooden is? obviously famous UCLA basketball coach, uh, arguably, maybe not even arguably, the greatest college basketball coach of all time. Uh, He coached for over 25 years with the UCLA Bruins. He is probably most known for and famous for a 12-year stint where the UCLA Bruins won 10 championships in those 12 years, seven in a row at one point. And so just an unprecedented winning mindset coming from this coach. The DNA is crazy. And uh, do you know what he happens? Some of you will know what he starts his seasons with, with his, with his uh, college players. I had someone first service go prayer. And I'm like, well, favor ain't fair. So prayer would be a good place to start. But it wasn't prayer. Um, what he starts his seasons with and you got to imagine this, for 20-year-old men, they've been playing college ba- they've been playing basketball their whole life, they're grown up, and he teaches them how to put on their socks and tie their shoes. That's how he begins. That's how he would begin the season with them, is sitting them all down, making them take their shoes off, put their socks back on, and relace their shoes up from the bottom to the top properly. Why? Because if you don't tie your shoes properly, you'll get blisters blisters lead to hindrances in games missed games missed time means missed opportunities in a season and it just slowly builds up from there and so he understood the pain we've all had that feeling right if you're trying to muscle through a sports injury how difficult it is how hindered you feel maybe at the gym or maybe on the softball field or whatever it is that you find yourself with your weakened warrior mindset it is hard to play through an injury Or you can think about it this way. Um, When I think of being hindered, I think of being in the middle of a nightmare. You're never as slow as you are in the middle of a nightmare. Isn't that true? Bad guy's chasing you and you're like, I have never moved this slow in my entire life, right? You go to scream because you need some help and you're like, I I can't even scream. Like, why does your voice not work in the middle of a nightmare? I don't know. Boggles my mind. I think of uh, trying to move through the airport with my kids, you know, (laughs) talk about being hindered I'm a guy who prides myself on how well I can go through the security line. Nobody will ever wait on me when I'm going through a security line unless I have my kids in tow. <laughs> then we're a mess, right? I feel, I feel like I have ankle weights on at the airport when I'm going through with my kids, right? Um, I really think of the antithesis of being hindered is, is the star power-up in, in Mario Kart, isn't it? Music changes, all of a sudden you're invincible and you can just go. And I wonder if there is a version of our walk with Jesus where it feels like there is nothing that sticks to us. No accusation from the enemy can stick to my heart. Nothing that any people are throwing my way. There's no behavior. There's nothing that's going to keep me off my path with Jesus. I'm focused. I'm running in the right direction and I'm not getting slowed down. I'm not being hindered in any way. I would argue it's not only possible, but it's the invitation from scripture. And so I think we see this most clearly in Hebrews chapter 12. If you have your Bible, you can open it up. We'll be reading right from Hebrews chapter 12. Just the first few verses will be kind of the anchor for us for the next few weeks in this series. It's going to be on the screen, or you can follow along on the U version events if you have that on your phone. Chapter 12, verse 1, the author says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray real quick and then we'll jump back into it. Lord, I just ask that uh, as a church, would we experience an unhindered relationship with you? Would we experience an unhindered walk with you? God, I pray today that we'd have a a, a posture of personal responsibility for places where we have drifted or places where we have fallen short, God, because in that personal responsibility, we know that there is freedom found in your grace. And so God, I ask that you would meet us here today. Would your love and would your grace pick us up as we set our feet back on the path to chase after you all the more in this new year? God, we love you. and We pray all of this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. So Hebrews chapter 12 opens with a therefore. And, and the, the corny phrase from, from teachers, Bible teachers everywhere is anytime you encounter a therefore, you should ask yourself, what is the therefore, therefore, right? And you've heard it before. So it's really, it's all set up in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, if you're not familiar with it, is, is kind of a famous chapter of scripture. It, it is referred to as the hall of faith, kind of a play on the hall of fame where the author is just going to go through all of these pillar titan figures of the Old Testament who stood in faith and pressed on knowing that something good was going to happen or that God was going to do something with their story. And the the author opens chapter 11 with this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the people of old, referring to the list of people he's going to go through, received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, which means that Christianity is not just blind optimism. We're not just like having positive thinking about what God is going to do. We don't just have positive vibes that we're putting out there, trusting that God's going to work something out. No, we have a unwavering assurance or hope that we're pressing into a future reality, longing for a day to come when God comes back and restores and makes all things new. And we're not just just having this kind of distant hope for the future. We have such conviction that the future is going to come to pass, that we have this gravitational pull of a future reality into today's world so that I can't help but operate in a way that knows that Jesus is King. If I'm going to the grocery store, if I'm going to the gym, I am trusting, I am believing that God is on his throne, he is ruling and reigning, and I want to come into alignment with what he's doing with every effort that I can. I am, I am too far past deconstruction. Like it's, it's hopeless for me. I'm so convinced of the story of Jesus. I have seen too much. I've gone too far in at this point. I can't go back now. I've watched him do too many things. He's done too much in my own life to turn back now. I am trusting that he has a good plan and that he is going to prevail in his plan. And now as we have this idea of faith deposited at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 11, the author just starts to go and unpack these Characters, these people that we know and study from the Old Testament. And he says it was by faith that they did. Their faith drove them to action. Their belief in what was going to happen, their belief in what God was going to do, pressed them into a present reality where they were longing for a future reality to come. So it says, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Moses, by faith, Israel, they all did these things, and they, they did it because they were in steadfast conviction that God was going to accomplish his plan. And the great news of Hebrews chapter 11, I'm not going to read the whole chapter today. I'd encourage you to go read it yourself. I think there's two measures of good news for us in Hebrews chapter 11. First of all, the list is chock full of jacked up people. That's good news for you and me. By faith, Moses, Moses, ah, what an amazing leader for Israel, right? Yeah, he was. He followed after God's will, but he also buried a guy in the sand with his own two hands. He also questioned God when he was first being called and God was asking him to do something. He's, he started to doubt the way that he would speak in front of other people, right? By faith, Abraham, oh yeah, Abraham, legendary guy, father of our faith. Abraham also got like lost his backbone a couple of times and tried to pass his wife off of his sister because he was afraid of what was gonna happen. That's a, I mean, those weird stories from Genesis. If you're in your reading plan, you're already going through it already. And you're like, Genesis is wild, you know, it really is. By faith, Israel crossed the Red Sea. Oh yeah, amazing. How much faith, they, they took over, stepped into the promised land. They were so faith-filled. Well, yeah, kind of, except for that moment when Moses tarried on top of the mountain of Mount Sinai, right? And they built a golden calf, right? All of these people, all these, uh, by faith, David. Oh, David, this mighty king. Absolutely, David was an amazing man. David also, uh, murder and guilty of having an affair, so, so the good news of Hebrews chapter 11, as you read through these people, is that your story is not too far gone because theirs wasn't either. So as you recognize that it's faith that presses us forward, there's nobody who's ruled out of the game because there's no one in this room who's as jacked up as some of the characters we just read about. And maybe you are, and the hope is the same, that it's by grace we are saved through faith. The other great piece of Hebrews chapter 11 is that not all of their stories end perfectly. I love it. It's like, man, some of them escaped the mouths of lions. And some of them, some of them put foreign armies to flight. And some of the women saw their dead raised back to life. And some of them were sawn in two. And some of them faced affliction and got pressed out into the outer outer realms. Like, like not everyone ended with the happy story. And so if you're in the midst of some significant pain right now, if you're in the midst of a part of your story that is really, really hard, you can keep going because God is good. And even if this thing that's going on right now doesn't resolve, he still is working out his plan. And it says it this way in Hebrew, at the end of Hebrews chapter 11. And all these things in verse 39, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. So you're telling me they just lived their whole life, gave it all to Jesus, left it all out on the field, ran the race, and they didn't receive what was promised? Right, because God had not provided something, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. The author's saying there, they strive for this person who was to come, Jesus, but he didn't arrive yet. And you and I actually sit in this weird parallel um, time slot with them where they had to press on in faith, trusting that Jesus was going to come. We have to press on in faith, trusting that he's going to return but there's some of the stories that might not resolve with the perfect happy note at the end of the story, but Jesus is going to come. Jesus will return and he'll make all sad things untrue and he will wipe every tear from every eye and we will live with him forever. But we live in this space where faith is what has to keep pushing us forward. I would actually submit to you today, I think the author writes this amazing chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, just to set up the point in Hebrews chapter 12. Why does Hebrews chapter 11 exist? He's, he's literally just setting himself up to say, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, therefore, since none of us are alone, nobody's in this story by themselves, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let's look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For the rest of our time together, I have two invitations for you and then one place to fix your gaze as you follow those invitations. The first invitation is to lay aside everything that we see in chapter 2. Or I'm sorry, in, in verse 2. I'm sorry, verse 1. Hello, first sermon of the year, all right? A little grace, please, come on. <laughs> "'Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely.'" If we're going to run in an unhindered way after Jesus, we cannot be carrying weights with us. And, and, the, and the, the context of that is, is sin. It's a, it's this idea that you're carrying something that doesn't belong to you anymore. If you're following after Jesus, let me just remind you, he has declared you innocent. He has blotted out your sin as far as the East is from the West. And yet somehow still, even though we know that grace, we've experienced that grace, we're still carrying sin with us as we run after Jesus. And maybe this will be the year where you finally are able to let go of some sin that you've been holding on to in your life. I think even if it's a small weight, you think it's just this little white lie sin. This thing that doesn't really matter that much. I would say even the smallest weights held over a long period of time really do slow you down. I, uh, my, my sister-in-law just had a little baby. I have this new little baby niece, and she's adorable, and she's squishy, and she's all just that perfect right stage where she's so, so cute, right? And I understand my pecking order in the family gatherings, right? Like, I'm not going to get to hold her first. I'm, I'm cool with that, right? It's like, it's sisters, it's par- her parents, sisters, and then like random uncles are somewhere down the list after that. So I've been waiting my turn very patiently to hold this sweet little baby, you know? And New Year's Eve, it finally happened. She had, she had just eaten, she had just gotten all cleaned up down here, you know, which is the way I like to receive them is when they're, when everything's good. And I got to hold her and we were just sitting there and I was just delighting and holding this sweet little baby. She's like, I don't know, maybe 10 pounds, you know, weighs nothing basically. But isn't it weird how after like 10, 15 minutes, you're like, oh my gosh, you know, I've been waiting for this moment, but I'm like, oh, my back, my arms, ah, you know, it's just, uh, it's, I'm, I'm out of baby holding shape, apparently, you know. And it just reminds me that, man, if you're holding on to a sin that doesn't belong to you anymore, it belongs on the cross of Jesus Christ. But if you're holding on to it, it is going to cause you unnecessary pain on your walk with Jesus. And what if this time during the fast, what if this time during prayer was 21 days for you to just refocus yourself, to say, I'm going to let go of some of this stuff that has been slowing me down. I'm going to let go of some of these things that have been jamming me up in my relationship with Jesus. And you might... You might be convinced that you're not going to change everything, but I would, I would submit to you, you're probably not going to change your marriage overnight if you've been struggling with lust. But you can make a decision today to let go of that sin and you can start pursuing your wife again and healing will begin to happen. Maybe your spending's been out of control. Maybe you struggle with greed. Maybe you struggle with compulsive shopping. You can't fix your finances right now, but you can make the decision to let go of that need, to soothe yourself in that way, and you can begin to heal your finances in the long term. You, you can make the decision today to let something go. And after today, it can officially be in your past, by the way. But you have to make the decision today to let it go. I, I think that during this fast would be a great time for us to try to address the sins that are going on in our heart. And Tim Keller has done a lot of work to say... Um, if you if you struggle with different sins, there's all sorts of different sins we think of when we think of like, man, what is the thing that we're struggling with? And you might think I have an anger problem. I might think I have a problem with greed, or or I'm just wanting more and more and more all the time. I have a problem with gossiping, uh, talking to people about people. I have a problem with lying or sloth, laziness. I have a problem with pride or jealousy or or gluttony. Maybe I've struggled with food and what. What Tim Keller does some good work to show us is that all of those things are external demonstrations of something that's actually wrong with the heart. And when it comes to the heart, there's four main idols that our heart struggles with consistently. And so every person in this room has somewhere where they can kind of find themselves asking for some realignment. We struggle with power, the need to be powerful, in charge of something, telling other people what to do, getting our way. We struggle with control, the longing to have everything go like according to our own plan, the struggle with comfort for our life to be easy or for things to be about meeting our pleasures or our needs, or we struggle with approval. And if you just would spend some time, maybe even today, maybe even this afternoon, I would, just, I would ask that we would seek the Lord to go, God, where is it that I'm struggling? So it might not just be that you have an anger problem. You might have a problem with your anger because you have a problem with control. And when things don't go exactly the way that you've ordered them, that's when your anger manifests. Maybe you have a problem with gossip and you're always trying to talk about what's going on with this person, that person, but it's not actually gossip that you're struggling with. The heart is actually sick with a need for approval and you're living your life bound to what other people think about you. Could this be the year where you let go of the need to be powerful, let go of the need to be comfortable, and you can press into some discomfort, let go of the need to be in control, and you can realize that you're not in control of basically anything. Laying aside the weight, the sin, that's how we're going to live into this unhindered life with Jesus, is by letting these weights go. The second invitation that we have is not just to let go of sin, which clings so closely, but he says the other let us is, let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us. Let us run with endurance. Let us go at a pace that Jesus is inviting us into. And I'll tell you, there's nothing that is going to slow down your walk with Jesus as much as something that God has said is an okay or good thing for you to do that you are taking advantage of or you're using in excess. Let me explain what I mean. For me, this past break, you know, Christmas time, whatever, it was, uh, it was coconut cream pie. <laughs> Makes me think of the verse in Corinthians that Paul writes, where it says, all things are lawful for me, but not everything is beneficial. I made a beautiful, wonderful, Kate and I put together this amazing coconut cream pie. It was probably the best thing I've ever tasted with my mouth. It was just, it was so good. And uh, family didn't eat all of it at the Thanksgiving gathering this last year. So I still had probably like a little over half of it that we brought home with us. You know what happened to that pie over the next couple days? That's generous. Like the next day, I just slowly but surely ate the whole coconut cream pie. And I felt like a coconut cream pie. You know what I mean? Um, Now, was I free in Jesus to eat that pie? Oh, yeah, baby. The grace of God is awesome. Like I was free in Jesus to eat that whole pie. Now, that was lawful for me, but was it beneficial? I'll tell you, there's nothing that's going to throw off your race with Jesus, like something that is lawful for you, but it's not beneficial. Can you do the inventory in your own life right now to say, I know, I know God that you have said that I can do this thing, but it's not profiting me at all. Let me give you a few examples of where to start. Uh, social media. Does God ever say in scripture that you can't be on Instagram? No, you can be on Instagram. You can use it for a tool, but is, is Instagram possibly ruining your life also? It is quite possible. It is. Is it an unhealthy relationship with food? You're free to eat. I mean, there is nothing like overcoming bodily sin, like telling your body no through a fast. And so if you want, if you want to gain some victory over what's like the, the lack of self-control that you have, if you want to get victory over some of the things that are binding you up that are bodily sins you're committing. I would say practice saying no to your body and saying yes to the spirit so that when it comes time, when you're faced with temptation, you're practice saying yes to the spirit and saying no to the body. That's how we do what Galatians 5 talks about, where we walk in step with the Spirit as we put to death the flesh in us. Uh, There there are all sorts of spaces in your life. You are free to buy that thing. Like, you probably even have the money to buy that thing. You can go shopping. You can go get the the 19th pairs of shoes that you've worn, worn recently. Sorry, Taylor, you know, no offense to roast him or anything like this. I'm just kidding. But like, you can say yes to buying that thing, but is it beneficial to you? Probably not. But man, what about simplicity? What about having less so that you can say Stay focused on the path that Jesus has for you. If you are focused on the plan and path that Jesus has for you, it'll help you not get distracted with all the things that are vying for your time and your attention, but you can continually stay razor sharp focused on what Jesus has for you. It is, it is hard to consistently say no to the good gifts that God has made. Alcohol might be one of those things. God's not saying you can't drink, but maybe you're recognizing that it's actually not beneficial for me in this season to say yes to alcohol still, because I might have an unhealthy relationship with it. What is it for you? What is it in your life? What is it in your heart? The, the question that I have as I read these, let us, let us lay aside every weight. Let us run with endurance. The question that I think that begs is, are you in the race? Are you running? Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's something you engage in. We do not rally in this building every Sunday so that you can be entertained. We come so that we can be equipped and sent out of here to go carry out the mission that God has for our life. And that's what we see in the next verse where it says, let us then look to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured this cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what Jesus brought with him when he came to this earth was a razor sharp focus on the plan that God had for his life. And so if you want to look at somebody who ran an unhindered race towards God, it was Jesus Christ himself, wasn't it? Don't you just, if you're honest, hate people that run and make it look easy? (laughs) I know we don't hate them, like, we're Christians, we can't hate them, you know, like, but it's crazy when you see somebody running, like, I have, I have a brother-in-law who can just run, you know, he's the kind of guy where, I, I, this is a true story, I saw him at the gym one time, and I was like, he was running on the treadmill, and I was like, oh, I'll catch him later, and I go talk to him after a little bit, he's, like, barely sweating, and I was like, oh, are you done with your run? He's like, well, the treadmill turned off, like, I guess it, like, hit its maximum time. I'm like, who, who are you? Are you human? Like, I'm more of the guy that when I'm running, like, you hear me before you see me. You know what I mean? <laughs> Breathing, stomping, like, you're like, that looks painful. He looks uncomfortable. I, like, Jesus was the guy who never broke stride. He had his face set like flint towards Jerusalem. It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. He knew exactly the purpose why he came to this earth. He knew exactly what he was doing. And if you and I had the same kind of clarity on the purpose that God had for our life, we wouldn't get so distracted by the sin. We wouldn't get so distracted by the social media or whatever it is that we're distracting ourselves with. But we would run with clarity after the life that God has for us. Can I remind you of something, church? You were once dead in your trespasses and sin you were caught in some behavior that you couldn't break free from. You were stuck, unable to reconcile your relationship to God, no matter what it is that you did, no matter what you did on your best day, you couldn't get yourself right with him. But Jesus stepped down to this earth so that he could restore the relationship between you and God. He lived this perfect life. He paid the sacrifice for your and I sin so that our sin would be as separated as the East is from the West. So that we'd be declared perfectly innocent, blemish free in his eyes. And it's not that grace is not just for us, like ethereally. This morning, I want you to be reminded that your sin is as separated as from the east as separated as the east is from the west. You're declared innocent. You're declared spot. I don't care what you did. I don't care where you've been. Jesus has paid for your sin, and if there was still sin to be paid for, He'd still be on the cross. He'd still be in the grave but he rose victoriously, now is seated in heaven. So everywhere we go, we get to be his ambassador. And he doesn't just ask us to represent him well. He actually infuses our life with the power of the Holy Spirit, which by the way, is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. You are filled with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. You can let go of that thing that's slowing you down. And he hasn't just filled you with this power. He hasn't just declared you innocent. He, ha- he, has, he has also placed you specifically and purposefully in a sphere of influence somewhere. It might be with your family. It might be with your friends. It might be with people in your neighborhood or in your workplace, the, people, the, the place where you play or recreate. Jesus has placed you specifically in today's day and age, this day. He, he made you for today. And he's given you this purpose And if we're going to be a church that's so bogged down with our own stuff and we're not running this race, then I'm just, I'm afraid we're not going to tap into everything that he has for us. And I want everything he has for this church. I want everything he has for me. I'm trying to set myself up so that every opportunity that comes my way, my yes has already been sent on the table for him. I'm not, I don't want to be hindered. I don't want to have blisters on my feet as I'm running after Jesus. I don't want to be concealing some weird injury that I'm afraid to tell everyone about because I'm afraid of what they'll think I look like. I want to let go of the need for approval. I want to let go of the need for comfort, for power, for control. And I want to chase after Jesus. I want to do it with you. I want to chase after him together. And who knows what he has in store for us this year. Over the next few weeks, we're going to to consider this verse. We're going to consider this idea all the more. But I want to end the service praying specifically that we just let the Holy Spirit have a little bit of time for us to have a moment with him where we can say, I'm letting this go today, whatever it is. I'm going to let this distraction go, whatever it is. And so as we end, would you stand? I'd love to just lead us through a time of prayer. If you could even just kind of cup your hands out in front of you. Lord, we want to be people who follow after you in an unhindered way. And God, we know that sin creeps into our life. Sin settles into our life. Every single one of us has a space, a pocket in our heart, where we're still struggling to be obedient to you. God, maybe it's something that we we know that we need to say no to it, and we keep saying yes. It's something that we need to say yes to, but we keep saying no. God, there's something in every single one of our hearts, and right now, I pray that you would just bring it to mind, and would we picture it like a weight in our hand, a weight that is slowing down our race with you. And I just pray right now in Jesus' name, would we just let it go. God, I pray that you would loose, loose the chains of approval right now in this, in this room. Loose the chains of control. Loose the chains of power. Loose the chains of control, God. Let, help us let those things go. Help us lay aside that sin that entangles our life. And God, as we prepare to step into this fast, God, this time where we're going to devote ourselves to you through fasting and prayer. God, I pray that we wouldn't be doing it out of our own effort. But God, would we see opportunities where we can say no to things of this world, good things that you've made that are just distracting us right now. God, I don't know if it's the screen. I don't know if it's the dollar. I don't know if it's the body. But God, we have, we have places where we are not focused on you. And help us see your supreme worth right now in Jesus' name. God, I ask that you would move in power, just like we sang, just like we prayed. Would you move in power now? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.